Hello, this is Jenny Nichols, and this is Local Share Green Action Podcast, where we hear from people across the U.S. that share their stories about work they are doing in their local community with a common goal of taking green action that helps care for people and wildlife and the environment in our local towns and cities. Our goal is that we might be able to learn from and inspire each other while we find our own solution-based action that lets us live meaningful, sustainable, eco-friendly lives while cleaning, protecting, and repairing the environment. Today on our podcast, we're speaking with two ladies that co-founded a creative reuse center that upcycles items into useful craft supplies for children and adults to explore their creative visions and talents. We are talking with Kelly Organic and Susan Miranda, the co-founders of Upcycle Creative Reuse Center in Alexandria, Virginia. Both Kelly and Susan are teachers. Kelly has a background in school administration and both preschool and elementary education and is currently a STEM specialist in her local school division. Susan has taught both public and private schools and is currently teaching as a preschool teacher in Maryland. Both have a commitment and shared vision to provide a space for all people, young and old, to explore the creativity using various materials and art media and artistic ways at their reuse center. They are both current board members of Upcycle and teach classes in teacher professional development. Welcome, Kelly and Susan. Thank you. So I'm so excited to speak with you both and find out more about your paths of green action that led you to opening a creative reuse center. So what planted the seeds for you both to want to start taking some kind of green action? Well, Kelly and I both uh, worked at a preschool where the experiences were very rich and we uh, it was just part of the culture to utilize things from our community, found objects, uh, even nature objects. Through that experience, we often asked ourselves, why does this have to end for for people when they grow out of preschool? Why can't this type of creativity and experience continue? And I would piggyback on that by saying, I feel like Susan has been an upcycler all her life. She's a very creative person. She's always been creating and dabbling. And so I think the excitement from, you know, what what can you make from something has always driven her. And she basically had an upcycle on site at her house anyway, you know, her basement was upcycle. So you know, I think that this has been something um, passionately ingrained in, in Susan. Me seeing materials used in different ways was definitely something that I saw uh, at the preschool level in our preschool. But the benefits of people using open-ended materials that really uh, don't confine your creativity, but also put really rich materials in the hands of young learners. Um, I think we we kept watching, we were watching as our own children were were you know, moving beyond the preschool years and into elementary and middle school um, and just felt like this is something the whole community should have. Great. So I read a little bit on your website about Reggio Emilia approach to learning. Could you tell us a little bit about what that is? But basically in Italy, in Reggio Emilia, they um, have a very rich, wonderful philosophy that is very deep and to be able to describe it cannot be done in just a few seconds. But some of the rich parts of, well, the philosophy is definitely very inspiring. 
sharing. Uh, and so some of the things that perhaps we took away from that experience, uh, experience of having actually been exposed to their philosophy are that to listen to the child and allow the child to be a, an active participant in their education and their experience and problem solving. And they also made use of all sorts of things. It wasn't just, hey, let me go to a store and buy this material to fulfill that need. They would listen to the child and say, okay, the child wants to feed the birds or something. Well, what do we have that we can use to feed the birds? It's just a very, it's an amazing philosophy. If anybody has to read about it, they should. It's its too much to describe our philosophies in developing uh, Upcycle. So where did you first learn about Emilio Reggio? I mean, did you know about it? Or did you happen to be taking a trip to Italy and you came across this place? Or So the, the preschool that we worked at, that, that we met at, professionally was inspired by the Reggio Emilia approach. And so they're, they're all around the world. There are educators who study this approach and implement it in their own communities. And so I think it starts with a viewpoint that, you know, children are capable. They already come to us with ideas that, uh, you know, they're not empty vessels that we're trying to fill. We're trying to uncover the ideas. And when you think about that in a preschool level, when children maybe don't readily communicate their ideas with verbally, they can show us their things thinking through materials and using materials in different ways. And so you're constantly striving to provide an environment for students to demonstrate their thinking and ideas and giving them foundational skills really with, you know, observational drawing and uh, building. And, and so you're seeking out all these creative resources and materials to support that kind of experience. And so that's, um, that Reggio philosophy really underpins what we still believe at Upcycle. And Susan and I were really lucky though, through sponsorship of the preschool, we were able to study in Reggio. We got to go to Italy and learn directly from the leaders of that educational movement. And we visited uh, Mita, which is a creative recycling center. And it was, it made such an impression on us because as we walked through the center, you could see how businesses, it, it was mostly business cast-offs, but people were collecting things so that they could go directly into supplying the preschools with these open-ended materials. And we just thought it was such a beautiful concept that things that businesses don't need could end up in the hands of young learners. And wouldn't that be amazing to have in Alexandria? That's awesome. And I just have to say that I think it's just a perfect time in our civilization as well, just being able to inspire creative thinking, I think, to solve the problems that we're all facing as a planet. I think it's, it's excellent. So how did you deal with the initial challenges of taking this concept and actually creating a reuse center and getting it funded and all that good stuff? We thought a lot about our idea and having been, you know, being educators, we wanted there to be an experience opportunity as well as a as a brick and mortar place where uh, materials could be obtained. So we combined our idea and desire to teach and provide experiences with having um, a play, uh, having a store as well. It took a while. I mean, it took. I think we were just talking about it like a year and a half to you know try and put the plans in order because we needed a place to have classes and we needed to have a place to have the stuff. And really, I think that having a location was our 
most difficult challenge too. But trying to make sure that we would have a nice balance where the whole system could support itself. Yeah, and Susan and I really didn't have any um, business experience. So, you know, learning how to run a business, uh, you know, we are teachers, we could run programs, but really figuring out how, you know, and we both have families. um, So, you know, we have, you know, we're trying to balance starting this business with, you know, our family commitments and any other personal obligations so that was a big part of, you know, getting started is we had to do it in a way that fit our lifestyles. Our kids came to upcycle a lot <laughs> in the beginning. They participated. I, I wouldn't trade that for anything. I love looking back at, you know, knowing that they were there part, you know, part of our beginnings and they still are. We have very, we have, our children are, are they're varying, um, uh, you know, they're not all this, all as creative, but we both have cre- very creative children that continue to just amaze us with what what they can make and create out of out of nothing really. So, but I think yeah, getting started, finding our space was extremely challenging. Uh, we live in the DC metropolitan area, so space rental is just incredibly costly here. So that was that was our biggest challenge is to find a space that was an adequate size that we could get started in. And we luckily found something in uh, the Delray neighborhood. It was on a second level of a warehouse. And, you know, looking back to that space too, we think about, you know, 80 year old people dropping off their donations, coming up two flights of exterior stairs. They, we kind of look back and think like we built it and they came and, and it was just incredible to think how motivated people were to participate. They really, Really thought that this was a good idea. Um, and, you know, as challenging as our space was, is, you know, we started building our community that way. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, because that was my, my next question is community. I'm guessing they sound like they were excited. And so were they able to contribute to how it would function? Or did you kind of from the beginning have a concept? So people were bringing the supplies to you. And then are you holding all of your classes at your location? Or do you kind of bring your supplies to the school or how is that working? Yeah, there's a mix. Uh, So in our original location, um, we had both the studio and the shop were connected in one space. We since have moved into a city of Alexandria Rec Department building, which has its advantages and challenges too, because our our program space is not connected to our shop any longer. We're in the same building, but it's, you know, it's just a different feel that you may not know that we were out there. So that's been a really nice partnership for us for upcycle um, and then we think for the city too because we we support a lot of city programs and um, events like the Alexandria Earth Day we've been on the steering committee for that for several years uh, we're heavily involved in the youth arts festival and and there are ways to sort of we always felt like we were a an organization for our community and so to the extent that we can partner with our city government and try to make a difference that way we can but we do do school-based programs so that means packing up lots of stuff. And we have some signature items that we love to pack up in like the round Chinese food takeout containers. We fill those, you know, each one of those containers is full of a different material. And so there's like this buffet of materials that students can use. But we're also, uh, we have some programs that we give to our rec center. All of the rec centers now have tinker cart. So we have out of school time programs. And so one of the things that we offer is tinker time. So we keep carts stocked in all the rec centers. So the students, the children that are staying after school in the rec center, 
learners can uh, utilize the materials and be creative outside of school time. Nice. So does that mean that you have your separate storehouse or and then you're teaching the classes at the rec center? So they're like two totally separate or is everything at the creation center? Pretty much everything is at the rec center. Our space is not as fluid as it had been in our first place, but we feel very fortunate to be where we are right now. But um, so we have our store space and then we also, we, we borrow classrooms as we need them or rent them, but we also have a big storage area in the back um, that we uh, utilize uh, for donations and things for sorting and such. But yeah, we we do have an entire aisle of things in our storage room that are used for taking off location. So when you say you have a store, are you actually selling things or is it? Yes. How is that working? You can... uh, you can participate in supporting our nonprofit by becoming a member of Upcycle and your membership has benefits, which include being able to access the collection at the store. And if you are not a member, you can be a member for the day or something of the like and still be able to access the, the collection. And the collection is far and wide. It has everything from mark making, which would include, you know, your typical colored pencils to spray paint or chalk, uh, oil pastels, chalk. And then um, we have containers, cigar boxes from the local cigar store, glass jars. You know, we have some of our favorite jars, particular jam. And so they will collect them and save them. And so that we can have full collections of those Um, paper products, fabric, yarn, canvases, office supplies. I mean, you, you name it, we have such a very rich collection of things in that and uh, some of those things you can get conventionally, you know, and a lot of things you can't. They're typewriter keys that, that people bring in or trophy parts or what can you do with those wonderful things? So do you stick to using basic tools or do you use some power tools or how do you address that or maybe safety and that kind of thing? So we we like to think of ourselves, especially when we're working with young people, we want to empower them. And so we want to make it safe. And we sometimes refer to ourselves as more of a low-tech makerspace because we want children to be able to, to build and explore with materials around them. So we love colored masking tape. You know, that's a, a quick way for a child to build up and, and connecting tacky glue and hot glue. So those are kind of the basics that are always available. But we use hand drills. We have sets of screwdrivers for taking things apart, hammers, bl- use blenders to, to um, and heat guns to melt crayons, you know. So there's all sorts of ways to safely work with a lot of materials. And it's really empowering. You know, I remember a three-year-old in one of our classes, he's like, he, would, he said something like, you know, my parents don't let me use hammer at home. And we're like, well, at Upcycle, you can, you know, and he's got eye protection on and he's hammering using a nail head that has a pretty big head on it. And we're showing him how to safely do that by holding it with pliers so that nobody's, you know, so we're working in a, in conditions that make it safe, but extremely empowering for, for the young learner. I think it was actually at a, um, I think it might've been at a, a festival. We actually had it hammers and nails and they're like I've never hammered at an art festival before and you're just like this is great you know they feel so empowered and they're learning a skill and, and there's just 
I mean, I can't tell you how many fan, kids will be like, oh, I'm not allowed to touch a Sharpie at home. Well, here you are. Like, this is one of our tools. And Sharpie away because it's okay to make a mess and not, you know, not make a mess just for the sake of making a mess, but we trust children with materials. So not our problem, but one of the challenges of our space right now is that we don't have a dedicated makerspace. So, you know, all of our tools are in the back storage and then we, you know, we bring them front, we use that, we use them and then we put them away. So, you know, our wish, you know, moving forward would, would be to return to having a space where we have a shop, have our material center connected to a studio that is always a studio. Right now we're in a situation where we set up for a class and then we take it down. So what were some of the challenges that you might have faced in this? Um, I know you mentioned finding a location. What might have been some of the other things that you crossed? Maybe communicating your vision, like um, the two of you working together, were you able to like get that information out to other teachers or how did you interact with the community so that they could find out you were trying to do this? So how are you interconnecting with the rest of the world? Yeah, I think, I mean, we, we quickly learned how to use, and we have a lot of resources in our city for small businesses. And, you know, we met with Small Business Development Center and, and got some ideas and attended um, any kind of community workshop. And we learned, you know, about, we there was a learning curve with social media for us, building our website. And so we tried to learn as much as we could from the people in our community that were providing support. We're part of the Arts Alliance, which is, you know, a coalition of all the arts groups in the city. And that's very supportive. Learn a lot of resources from you know, about a lot of the city resources there. Visit Alexandria. So there's a lot of ways to connect with our community resources. Um, but yeah, we had to learn social media, you know, how to use social media. And it was very powerful because it's free, just requires our time. But yeah, we, I think we just had a lot to learn about running a business, you know, filing taxes, like payroll, like all of the non, none of the the glittery things that we thought opening a business was going to be about, but they were practical and we had to. So um, I feel, I feel like we learned a lot, maybe starting out with somebody who had some kind of business background or had opened a business before, that would have been, that would have been key. That would have been amazing <laughs> to have somebody involved. And Susan and I also talked about our partnership was so wonderful because we both bring different, you know, different talents to partnership. But we also could have cast a much wider net um, early on. And so, you know, we were two people with a vision and uh, looking back, I think we would have and could have uh, tried to do a little bit more you know, getting into the community and that would have really supported it. We've built it now and we see how beneficial it is at this point um, to have the community support. But that was something that just as as novice business owners, we had no idea what we were doing, but we're really proud of where it is at this point. Oh, that's great. Has it been fairly smooth to keep financially things going? Or are you always constantly having to write additional grants for grants or... How is that aspect of it working? Yes. You know, early on in Upcycle, Susan and I volunteered a lot of our personal time. So that's how Upcycle thrived in the beginning. But since we've both stepped away from running the daily operations, we have a director, we have a program coordinator, we have shop staff, and we have just several volunteers that make a huge difference in processing our donations and also getting the word out to the community. So we are financially secure. And that, that was a huge pivot for us, you know, to take us as these 
incredible volunteer. You know, we gave a lot of our personal time just because we loved it. But when you're trying to pivot to, you know, having a paid staff, that that's completely different. It just, it financially, but we do, um, we do rely on grants. Uh, grants make up about a third of our budget and there are, we're always interested in learning about new grants, um, but there are some standing grants from the city, the state that we, we do rely on having and luckily have received um, every year. And it's, um, it's almost 10 years old, which is amazing. Nice. So what are some of the ways that you and others are enjoying the rewards of all of your efforts? You've mentioned a little bit of them, but do you want to share maybe um, a particular story that's been moving or? I, one of the, one of uh, at least my favorite things to work on was always public art. And when, when we were in Delray, there uh, was always something called First Thursdays. And it's, um, it was a, usually a themed Thursday, once a month in the warm months, and the whole area of Delray would participate and the businesses would come out and stay up open late. And, you know, it was always fun to kind of work what, what would that theme be that week? And what could we provide out on our little strip of the street that would engage the public? And what could, what rich experience could they participate in? And not necessarily for them to do something and take it with them. It wasn't necessarily a make and take. It was a collection collaborative piece that we could hold up at the end or after multiple touches and say the community made this and we did everything from community printing projects and community mosaic projects they were always really rich and satisfying to provide something that we thought would be engaging and then to work and talk and experience the community coming together to make it and then to step back and look at something and go wow look at what we all did and we didn't necessarily know what that final product would be but we we trusted in the process yeah you definitely have to yeah the community art we anytime we went to a festival it it usually was not going to be something you make and take we actually kind of we steer clear of that. I don't know, just like things like that. <laughs> Coming together and having community input on one piece of art that comes from like Susan said, multiple people coming together and contributing is really exciting. And, and and you have to let go, you know, as the artist or the the person facilitating the activity, you know, it's not going to turn out exactly the way that you think it is. Um but when you step back at the end and see what you've made, it, it, it is really incredible to see what, and, and these are usually large scale projects, huge mosaics. So one of them is of a city landmark uh, that we made that, and so the, actually the vice mayor asked to have that in her office. Yeah. So that's the found object printing. So using, you know, caps and lids to make marks and then coming back with paint later and then and uh being able to yeah trust people to fill the spaces and not know exactly what you're going to get but it's really beautiful and when people were working on a project they slow really a community project they actually i found slowed down and took the time and care because they didn't they they felt the 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 community they didn't want to disappoint and but they were brave enough to participate at the same time you know so we we really in our experience of doing this never found that somebody just spilled paint all over it to make a mess they really wanted to take the time and the care to add to it in a beautiful way and um, that is a strong thing that you 
you really can't direct people to do. That is what they just did. And they, it was always beautiful, the results. And the other thing um, that was very striking is sometimes uh, parents would read this as just a kid's activity. And you would have the occasional parent. We'd always invite the parent to participate. It's for everyone. Art is for everyone. And once they did, to hear the parent say, wow, I haven't done anything like that in, in so long. And it felt so good. And just to give that little bright spot, that stress relief, or just, you know, watching that parent or that child get into that zone of creativity where they're just, nothing else really matters is really, really powerful. And it was wonderful to have parents participate as well. And that reminds me actually um, of a program that we offered all of the kindergartners in Alexandria, where we would bring in a mystery box with cast-offs from your kitchen. And so we would put our hands in and we would describe, or we'd actually invite a student up to describe what they felt. Was it smooth or bumpy? And we would, you know, is it round? And we'd pull out each item and we would talk about what it was, but then the important part was to talk about what it could be. And these are cast-offs that are all around you. And I have to say, you know, right now in our remote learning environment, students have to be resourceful. They're using materials that are all around them. So we do need to look at our cast-offs in a different way because they are such a, a great source for creative inspiration. So yeah, the the whole idea of, of we're collecting things that were once something, but they have the power to be so, so much more. I mean, it's really looking at our our waste stream in a different way and, and creating really new purposes for something. And it's not... The, the cap to a deodorant, once the deodorant's gone, you think, oh, well, that, that thing has no purpose anymore. Its job is over. It's just a deodorant cap lid. But if we look at things for their characteristics and we have had experiences that help you realize that raised edges on things create prints or, you know, you've got to you look at materials for their characteristics and what else can that be used for instead of just saying, oh, I'm done with my deodorant lid. I don't need it anymore. So if your ideas and wisdom experiences were all wrapped up in seeds of potential action to give to others, what advice would you give someone who's considering this? We definitely would recommend that you try to build your community early on. You know, if you want to open a, open a creative recycling center, there's so many different reasons why people are interested in it. You've got your thrifters that just love a good deal. You've got your creative types. You've got people that just need to unload things from their house because they've overbought. And why not get these materials in the hands of other people that would love to use them. Um, there's so many different reasons why you know, you've got families looking for something to do, people that truly value creativity and innovation. So there's so many reasons why. And so circling, you know, getting all of those potential community members activated and he, listening to them and what, what they're looking for in a creative reuse center would be very, very important early on. Excellent. So do you have maybe a resource or a book or website or film that's been particularly helpful or informative? So if you're interested in starting a creative recycling center or reuse centers, um, this, a, a lot of movements out of the West Coast. So Portland is where Scraps started. And um, Kelly Carmichael Casey has actually written a book about all the things to consider when you're opening a business. It's called uh, The Social Entrepreneur's Guide to Starting a Creative Reuse Center. She has spilled it, spelled it out in a book. So I, I found that to be a great resource um, when we were getting started. But as far as creativity and, and the Reggio approach... 
Kelly and I used to talk about writing our own book. And then one day I was in a store and I found um, a hands-on guide to for little inventors, Tinker Lab, just great resources for you know, parents, educators on how to break things down and make it accessible for little people. And then also one of this series, the lab series, art lab for little kids or art lab for kids, photography and written by Susan Schwake, S-C-H-W-A-K-E. But this lab series has all sorts of wonderful books. There's uh, books that we, we wouldn't necessarily follow the project in here, but we would be inspired by their technique. And then we would turn those techniques you know, into skill we would share with people and they would turn it into something else. So you know, one thing that Kelly and I were really shaped by the Reggio philosophy was that we really wanted people to be empowered to create on their own, to really flex that muscle to do for themselves instead of necessarily seeing a product and saying, I want to copy that. Because when you do that, you are learning new skills and you are gaining confidence, but you're, you're not using that unique muscle that everybody's been born with, you know, your creativity, you really have to exercise that. And we would often provide provocations that would lead people down a path to totally create on their own. And it was so fulfilling for us as well, because you would just see the pride in, in them for having accomplished something they had no idea they could do, but it's totally and uniquely only theirs. I'd also make one more recommendation for a book that a lot of Reggio um, educators love this, the book called Beautiful Stuff. Um, it's learning with found materials. And it's just, as Susan would call, eye candy for just getting ideas of how to set materials out for, for young learners. But it's all about how to use things around us like marker lids and just found objects, things that we have in collections um, to learn. And Beautiful Stuff is by Kathy Weissman Topol and Layla Gandini. Excellent. Excellent. So how would you like people to contact your center want to find out more? Yeah. So one of the uh, general email addresses for Upcycle is info at upcyclecrc.org. And that, that will be answered by uh, somebody within the organization and they, they, will, they can forward a communication to us. Thanks for joining us for Local Share Green Action. Until next time, Let's all use our unique talents and abilities and take meaningful green local action that benefits the planet and people.